precious Lord who builds this church against which the gates of hell will not prevail, we always want to be mindful when we come into this building that you have established this in a long chain and collection of physical spaces from which the gospel will go forth and we never want to be forgetful of that but to be praying regularly until Lord we are in this building and fully functioning and the heartbeat of the gospel is pumping hard through the community with this as its center so we do ask that you would give continued blessing upon the process that the planning boards and all the local municipal governments that are involved would receive from us a positive testimony and we would get also Lord from them all that we need to move forward as good a rate as we can to be fully established here in the meantime we give you thanks for our dear brothers and sisters at Faith Baptist and ask Lord that we would be a blessing to them that the gospel would continue to sound forth from there as well Father for those who can't be with us this morning Lord, if they be for uh, uh, here, here at church, Lord, we ask that if they be for reasons of sickness or other things going on, that you would bless. And if it just be out of sluggishness, Lord, and in uh, and, and, and neglecting uh, the brethren and uh, just not doing what's needful to grow in the grace and knowledge, that you would convict them thereby as well, Lord, and let them know that there is so much to bring and so much to receive from the fellowship of the saints. And be glorified now, Lord, as we explore and study together. Amen. So we're going to get... This is going to actually be the last week. Thought it would be two weeks, but we're not going to meet next week at the Sunday school because being Easter, people tend to have some things going on with it, preparing maybe for family or gatherings later in the day. So um, so the following week, we'll start with our survey of the Old Testament. And again, we'll take a book a week, or for the bigger books, we'll, we'll give it two weeks to just talk about where they fit in with the overall picture of Scripture, some key texts, key ideas, key movements, that kind of thing. And of course, we'll always try to see Jesus in the Old Testament. And I think that'll be a good... Uh, I'll be doing some teaching. I know Todd will be doing some teaching. Uh, Seth will jump in here and there. And as necessary, if we have to... Uh, as an absolute last resort, Gary might pitch in sometime. <laughs> he has to as well if he's needed. Because he's you know busy with the preaching weekly as well, so... And then also we, we look forward to this uh, this week, we look forward to uh, our Good Friday service together up at Faith Baptist from 6 to 7.45, is that? 6.30. 6.30 to 7.45, and then of course next week, Resurrection Sunday, we look forward to that very much as well. So, praise God for His blessings to us. So today then, being the last week, we're going to take a look at um, Mr. Newton's correspondences with William Cooper. I introduced you a little bit last week. Spelt like Cowper, but actually is uh, pronounced Cooper. Was and he a member of Newton's church as well? Do you know um, he kind of was. I think he was intermittently. You know, Newton ministered to him. Well, I'll, I'll go over here in a minute. Newton, uh, Cooper had a lot of problems, you know. He was a very, very dark place most of his life. Um, and despite that, God worked miraculous, you know, amazing things through his hymn writing that ministered to us to this very day. Um, I may have mentioned this in the past, but it's just interesting. I met when I was down in Haiti in 2002, 20 years ago, Randy. Randy and I were down there. Remember Bill Cooper, the guy down there? He taught at the seminary that was on, on campus there. Kind of a tall guy, dark hair. And uh, Well, anyway, he would join us for supper occasionally. You know, the Haitian sisters were cooking for us. And he would join us. 
<clears throat> and his name was spelt the same way. You see, well, come to find out, he's an immediate descendant of William Cooper, the songwriter. Just a saintly, saintly guy, uh, full of wisdom and full of good teaching. Uh, he also happened to work with A.W. Toza uh, on one of the Christian Missionary Alliance magazines. So just a guy that had been around a lot and been exposed to a lot of things. So um, just a neat little factoid to share. It was pretty fascinating. So William Cooper, and you know, everyone may know this famous quote of his, God moves in a mysterious way his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. From his hymn, Light Shining Out of Darkness. God moves in mysterious ways, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Where does that come from, anyway? So Cooper wrote that, but what, what scripture was on his mind, you suppose? Yeah, absolutely. And Jesus walking on the water, one of the reasons why I think that points to his deity is it affirms that he does something that only God can do. And when did God do that thing? Where do we see in the Old Testament God doing things with the sea? Uh, uh, several places, I suppose. Parting the Red Sea. Yeah, yeah. And in the Psalm, there's literally a reference to that sort of God walking upon the storm and riding upon the sea. So that's, that's where I was pointing to. Text from uh, Mrs. Valandry. Uh, <laughs> looks like AAA will be there any minute. Please let Randy know. So you better get out there, brother. Interstate towing, buddy. They'll be here any minute now. <laughs> so for those of you that had to come in a little bit, Randy, Randy locked his keys and his phone in his vehicle. So we used my phone to call his wife, who called AAA, who is now texting me to give me updates as to when they're going to be here. So we thank God for AAA. Uh, he wrote, now Newton wrote, actually Newton wrote more hymns than, than uh, Cooper. Uh, uh, Newton wrote him, hymns for his church. He wrote over 280 of them. Uh, but Cooper contributed 70 of them. And so it only, O-L-N-E-Y, where he was pastor and where, to Gary's question, Cooper did go for some time. They wrote hymns together. And they worked together quite a bit. Um, as a younger person, Newton's mother died when he was very young. Uh, he was, <coughs> I forget the specifics of it, he was, to give a, um, he was to give some sort of a presentation somewhere when he was, know, was late teens, 19, 20. I forget exactly what it was, but he got so nervous and so anxious he had a complete breakdown. And he was institutionalized in a mental hospital. He attempted suicide three different times before his salvation. While he was in the hospital, he came across a Bible which talked and he read about the um, incident with Lazarus. And so <clears throat> that sort of gave him something. That ministered to him. Uh, towards the end of his life, he thought he was damned, unfortunately. He lost all confidences in salvation, stopped attending church. Um, in one of his hymns, uh, one of his things, a dream, he said, he said he saw it in a dream, it is all over with you, you are lost. And it's just, again, just, he had mental illness. And uh, by and large, a lot of Christians don't understand the lengths of, of uh, Christian illness, too easily dismissed it as a lack of faith. Mental illness is every bit as real as headaches and cancers and everything else. It's not just a immaterial thing that are physiological things that happen in the mind with brain chemistry with your adrenal system all kinds of things mental illness is a very serious and important um, thing to be mindful of 
And he suffered really greatly. That's his virgin at times, he suffered with the um, Nonetheless, he did have a very interesting, um, a very interesting, you, all, you, you know the great hymn that we all know, right? There is a fire filled with blood drawn from the main veins. To think that that mind wrote this, and it just bears testimony to how God can work through people. It doesn't matter what the condition of the, the spirit is. And, and I, he will do what God is going to do. God is going to do what God is going to God do. Provides. He certainly does. He overrides and he, he overturns whatever is evil for good. It is as Eric Metaxas said, I quoted him a few minutes ago, sometimes God is just way too sovereign. <laughs> Newton said, uh, the Lord who had brought us together had so knit our hearts and affections that for nearly 12 years, until Newton left only, we were seldom separated for 12 hours at a time when we were awake and at our home. The first six I passed in daily admiring and trying to imitate him. This is Newton speaking of Cooper. The first six I passed in daily admiring and trying to imitate him. During the second six, I walked pensively with him in the valley of the shadow of death. So six years of deep, deep depression and uh, and trouble in his life and in his heart. And this particular letter he's writing to him on... Uh, encouragement against doubts and fears. This was in 1767, this particular letter. Um, he says to him, the Christian calling, like many others, is easy and clear, in theory, but not without much care and difficulty to be reduced to practice. Things appear quite otherwise when felt experimentally to what they do when only read in a book. In other words, when we experience the things that we so easily acquiesce to and the things that we read, when we, when we give mental assent so easily to such great and wonderful truths in Scripture, and they seem so profound and wonderful to us, and then something happens experientially, and something happens to us experientially in which we begin to experience the very things that we claim that we have such a high regard for. He says, things appear quite otherwise when felt experimentally to what they do when we only read in a book. Many learn the art of navigation, as it is called, by the fireside at home. But when they come to sea with a head full of rules and without experience, they find that the art is only to be thoroughly learnt upon the spot. So he could sit there at a fireplace and read about how to navigate a ship. Now, John Newton knew all about this, right? John Newton was very much involved with shipping. He was involved in the slave trade. So he knew a lot about shipping. He knew a lot about stealing. He knew a lot about the so-called military. Many learned the art of navigation, how to, how to navigate a ship by sitting at that fireside at home, right? Reading that book where it's all nice and comfortable. Oh, isn't this amazing, you know? And I would say the same thing with, with we could do with YouTube now. You can go on YouTube and learn all kinds of things. You can learn how to do things. You know, there's not much you can't get some practical. So there they go with their head full of rules, the head full of everything you know that you need to do, but they find that the art is only to be thoroughly learned upon the spot. That's when you really become schooled in the gospel, when you become schooled in the sovereignty of God. Like I mentioned, Piper's great big 700-page book, Providence. I'm sure it's an amazing book to sit there and read. Until you get into the spot where you really learn providence doesn't always mean sunshine and rainbows. So, 
And this is what Newton is trying to communicate. This is normal. This is our. This is what it is to be a Christian person. What goes on in theory versus what goes on in practice are two different things. I mean, I was doing something as part of my physical therapy for my hamstring, which is a little messed up. You got to stand on one of these what they call these stabilizer pads. Now, most of us, most of us, can pretty easily stand on one foot. I would dare say most of us could probably stand on one foot and take a five or ten pound kettle weight and just pass it back and forth around our front and the back. Well, they have these things called stability pads, the stabilizer pads. It's a cushion thing about this thick. It's a foam cushion thing. Now, you stand on that and start doing that immediately, that leg starts wobbling like crazy, right? And you start finding you got all these little stabilizer muscles you didn't even know you had, and you're trying to pass it, and next thing you know, you know you're know, you falling off of the foam thing because you lose your balance, and you're trying to pass this 10-pound weight around like this. And the whole goal, of course, is you're tightening your, 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 your glutes and your core and everything so that you're not putting so much... You're not making your, your hamstring work so stinking hard. And Aurora sees me doing it. She says, oh, I can do that. <laughs> Show me. Oh, I can do that. And this is, you know, kids are famous for this. And Aurora's famous for this. She goes, oh, I can do that. Oh, that looks easy. I said, well, why don't you get up and try it then? And, you know, it shouldn't even last you know, four seconds. Right? It's like that. You know, it's like that. You start getting up there and you're trying to stand on that. You're trying to stand on what you believe and, and things are getting all wobbly and shaky and you're going to fall off here and there. We think, he says, at setting out that we sit down and count the cost. We think that. We think that. We think we're sitting to sit down and count the cost. But alas, our views are so superficial at first that we have occasion to correct our estimate daily. Okay? In other words, we have to continually readjust what we think is so. For every day shows us some new thing in the heart. Huh. And we get to where he always does the heart, right? Where, or some new turn in the management of the war against us, which we were not aware of. And upon these accounts, discouragements may arise so high as to bring us, and he says, I speak for myself, to the very point of throwing down our arms and making either a tame surrender or a shameful flight. <laughs> what a way to write this guy had. Every day shows us some new thing in the house, in the heart. We we discover something in our heart every day if we're attentive. Every day there are circumstances being brought to bear on everyone, including the Christian, not just the Christian, but on everyone. Some new turn in the management of the war against us, which we are not aware of, right? Something's going on in the spiritual warfare. Something is happening against us. Or God's management of us. And upon these accounts, discouragements may arise so high. That's to bring us to the very point of just throwing down our arms and making either a tame surrender or a shameful flight. Now that we fall apart. When these things come to bear. When everything that we thought we were prepared for. Because added to the disappointment of things not going well is the disappointment of thinking that we were prepared to handle something only to find out that we weren't. So it's like a double assault on us, isn't it? It's a double attack in a sense, it's a double, uh, we're in double indemnification when we begin to realize that, wow, this is hard. I mean, this is, and then, and then to realize, I thought, I thought that I believed this. I thought, so now you got a real warfare going on, and this is, this is, this is prime space for the devil too. By the way, this the devil can smell this stuff a mile away. Doubt and fear. Say, so, oh, I got him right where I want him now, and that's when he can bring the whole onslaught of adding fear upon fear, doubt upon doubt. So it's just a battle. It's just a spiritual battle. And I think, so he's ministering to William Cooper and, and 
I'm sure in Cooper's mind, you 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 do you do uh, struggle with is, is it my faith? Do I not believe? I mean, why would we do that? Why would we say am I am I not really a believer? Why why would we say that? What what did that tell us about ourselves when we asked that? It's not, and I will say this first. It's not a bad thing. So, yeah. I think a lot of times we rely more on ourselves and what we think mm. than actually relying on God and trusting that He's going to come through. Mm. Yeah, there definitely is that. Yeah, uh, Gary, were you going to say something, brother? No, not particularly. Okay. The, the question was, why do we ask ourselves? Am I a believer? Yeah, how do we get to that place sometimes where we say, why Why is my faith weak? Am I not really a believer? Is, am I, you know, we get to... I think because the evidence is to the contrary. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do so many things that are not indicative of what a believer, in our minds, what a believer does mm-hmm. or says or thinks. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Then I think we have to realize that it's not upon us the responsibility for maintaining that, but it's, it's yeah. God who owns us. And I, and I think also that we expect that we're going to be prepared, just like I was referring to a minute ago. I think we're just going to step on that foam cushion and pass that kettlebell weight around. We, we think because we're equipped that and when we find out we're not, we get discouraged by something that we can only learn by going through the discouragement anyway. And we have to, we have to understand that things happen to us in which we can't really turn back and just blame a lack of faith when your faith hasn't been exercised in that. No more than I can say, oh man, boy, I thought I was in great shape. I should have been able to handle this. My, I should have, how did I blow out a hamstring at this point in my life? No, I know how to exercise. I know how to do this. Well, you've got stabilizer muscles that have never been exercised. So, uh, am I going to get all discouraged? Oh man, I pulled a hamstring. What a wimp I am. I thought I was in good shape. I'm really a wimp, right? No. There's just something else that has to be brought out of us. There's something else that's got to be now, it might reveal, in some ways, a lack of faith, and that's okay, too. There's, there's, there's few things so beneficial to our souls as finding out where we have a lack of faith. What a gracious gift that God imparts to us when He lets us see where we lack faith. Because it's only so that we can be shown that we lack faith and that He'll provide for us anyway. That He's not counting on us to make it happen. And, he will, and He'll build it. And so sometimes I think we... Look at doubts and things like that and, and lack of faith sometimes is the worst thing that could happen to us. When the truth of fact is not the worst thing that can happen to us at all. And something has to be exposed. And God in His grace will expose it. Why wouldn't He? Why, why wouldn't He? Why wouldn't He expose our lack of faith to us? It's not so He can hammer us over and say, you know, there were times, of course, when Jesus said, oh, you have little faith. Right? Maybe there are some things that we should in that case. But He's, but he's making a point. You have little faith. And we, we need to get that greater faith. And we only get that by realizing the goal is not to become more powerful in our faith, but our goal is to realize that the object of our faith is so much greater than we think of Him in any given moment. And like you said, we go on in, in parts of our lives all the time where God is just not on our thoughts as we're going through what we're going through. And as I mentioned last week, or sometime we tend to watch television shows and movies where people are learning how to get by and survive and they're overcoming obstacles with absolutely no God reference whatsoever. And we're dangerously close to reinforcing in ourselves this occasional worldview that we have that somehow God's not involved in all the details. And so I think we've got to be just careful of that. So, 
<coughs> he writes him again in this letter, and he says, uh, Newton says to uh, Cooper, he says, I pity your conflicts. I pity your conflicts. And I try not to envy your comforts. <laughs> it's amazing. I pity your conflicts, and I try not to envy your comforts. You are in safe hands. All your combats and all your victories are already marked out for you. And that's just encouragement. Right? We, we are just... And this is in the midst of a letter where he's you know, thanking him for his friendship, reminding him, and even asking him... This is a great thing too, right? Ask, so somebody like Cooper, who's really struggling with his faith, and here Cooper writes to him and says, Pray for me that my heart may be looking to Jesus for peace wisdom and strength without him all is waste and desert and every thought in which he has not a place or rule is treason I trust you I know he will be with you he will cover your head in the day of battle and give you many a song of triumph for the great day of decision when all enemies shall be finally bruised under your feet right because it's the day when that's coming I like that Paul says in Corinthians you know Satan will soon be crushed under your feet right there's a, there's a reference to the old thing that happened way back in the garden that wasn't just I take a somewhat slightly I just offer this I take a somewhat different tack than that I don't think that's just about the day where there'll be a there'll be a seed that stomps on the on the seed there was there the prediction of an ongoing battle all the time between God and everything that opposes him so Paul could say to the Corinthians God will soon crush Satan under your feet right I thought that already happened I thought Jesus already sort of you know, the whole bruise the heel thing, stomp on the serpent thing happened. Well, it did in the ultimate sense when Christ was victorious on the cross and the resurrection, but that goes on still. Um, as far as I know, I don't know. You tell me. Satan's still pretty active out there? I mean, he's, he's a snake on a leash. <laughs> so just giving him a little bit of encouragement and letting him know, look, it, it ain't over. And, and there are things... And, and even again, asking him for prayer. And I think we have to remember to do that with people that are in a really tough spot, whether they're mentally in, is struggling or in great trial or under a great physical trial, um, even even in the last months of somebody's life. So remember, this is a brother or sister who still can be engaged in the battle with us spiritually. They they need to minister to us still. They're still in the body. They can still pray for us. You know, imagine. Um, uh, a, a saint did, did I mention I've had this conversation for whatever reason twice in the past couple of weeks I talked about James Montgomery Boyce last week and his, his his cancer diagnosis when he got it did I mention that here so when James Montgomery Boyce at 62 got this uh, you know stage 4 liver <coughs> diagnosis um, and he knew he only had like 6 months left to live or so he wrote 11 worship hymns in that 6 months 11 worship hymns in that 6 months from his diagnosis to his death and, you know, I'm sure people are writing to him wanting to know, you know, can you give me some... I, I asked a woman, a co-worker who recently died of breast cancer, and she had called me from the hospital just to... Because I texted her, I was just wondering how she was doing. I didn't know she was in the hospital. I just texted her out of curiosity. I knew she had been working for home, didn't come in very often. She wanted to protect herself against potential COVID with her, you know, weakened immune state. 
And I texted her just to see how she's doing. And, you know, it must be a hard struggle for you during the holidays, blah, blah, blah. She called back and she said they're sending me home on hospice. And so, you know, I was like, you know, somewhat devastated by it. And she said, you know, it's okay. And, um, and I asked her, I said, what, 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 what are you going, is there anything that you can share with me about this time in, in, in your life, in your being that, I mean, talk to me, you know, tell me something about what you're doing. Give me some wisdom. You know, and she was willing to talk and do that. You know, she made some comment about uh, taking care of your physical health in general, or something, or you know, just but, but what, just. And I think that for people that uh, I can think back to uh, Bob Croak. You know, um, I remember I was like Bob Croak, and he came home on, on hospice. You know, and he was all set up in his bed there. He called me because he was all excited to show me his new computer that his wife bought him. The, for his last days, <laughs> and, and uh, you know, I was sharing with him a little bit about my brother, Chris at the time, who was still alive, but um, who was going to die fairly soon after, oddly enough, he died the same year as, as Bob, or within that same time as Bob Croke, anyway, Bob, you know, he was just like a, at the time? yeah, yeah, he was just encouraging me, you know, he was like, yeah, you know, it's alright, Pat, you know, your brother, you know, whatever, he just, people in a, in a, in a, in a Nothing changes that way. We all, you know, it, it may, it maybe at the very last moment, you know, you don't walk into somebody's room, and they're in the, you know, in the last three or four breaths, they don't even know you're there. You're not going to ask them that much for prayer. But you know what I mean. Remember that. The brothers and sisters that are struggling, you know, Larry, our brother Larry Carey, who's, you know, home, you know, he's got prostate cancer. He's getting weaker and weaker as time goes on. You talk to him and his voice is, his, he can barely get words out because his breath is so shortened. And uh, but he still he sends me YouTube things you know uh, spiritual songs or you know we just text each other back and forth I ask him for prayer for this he'll ask him for, he needs to be engaged in the ministry of the saints in Job it says the blessing of him that was ready to perish mm. came upon me oh neat yeah what a great verse so it's amazing how people in those last days can minister to us definitely who uh, don't don't anticipate yeah. the end coming so soon to us. Yeah. And, you know, I, I'm sure Newton must have thought this way. I mean, not that Cooper was on his, his deathbed at this time, but he was in great... He was having a lot of distress and a lot of trouble. Just helping the person stay engaged in gospel ministry is going to have a, a strengthening effect. So a great lesson to sort of take from that. What an encouragement. Uh, without even... You know, probably thinking of it in that way is an encouragement, but how that must have ministered to William Cooper, to. And I, I imagine his engagement with Newton and Newton's ministry to him also helped him to write great hymns. You know, his hymns came out of that admixture of, of really dark despair and the hope set forth in the gospel before him, that Newton was constantly ministering to him. As he said, they were barely apart for 12 years. So that stuff came out in, in, in hymns, some great hymns, and there's more. I don't I don't know all of his hymns, uh, but we all know that one, and we all we all know that God works in wondrous ways, you know, moves in wondrous ways. So, uh, just some some good stuff there. Yeah, you know, yeah. I was thinking about this this morning that people these days are more reluctant to die mm. than people in the past. Yeah, and the reason why I'm thinking is because there's so much more glitter in the world today. Mm. There's so much more. The world, in some ways, is a better place. What I mean by that is, mm. 
all the luxuries that we have, the yes. advanced technology, yes. the uh, amenities that we get, you know, with you know, just computer, phones, you you name it. Yes. Uh, all of these things sort of make life enjoyable, and it almost becomes sort of like a sub-heaven environment, and it's something we'd like to stay as long as possible. Right? Yeah, you're right. In, in, in that sub, like that terminology, that sub-heaven environment, we deceive ourselves that it is sort of sub-heavenly. I was thinking this morning, if they don't ever used to smoke, I used to smoke cigarettes when I was younger, right? Not full And so, uh, and so, like, you know, every, every cigarette you had, you, you like, you needed, but, you know, halfway through the cigarette, I was like, you know, there's nothing special about this, you know, it's you know, but you you look forward to every one, and when you lit it up, you enjoyed that first hit you took, right? And maybe the second or third, but by the time you get halfway through that cigarette, you're like, wow, man, this thing. And I was thinking about my cell phone. I'm like, why am I going to check my emails 30 times a day? What what am I checking the news 10 times a day for? It's like mundane now. So you just be, it's, and on one hand, it's really cool because I can have news right here. And it, and it doesn't change, just like the cigarette smoke doesn't change. And that's why I compared it this morning. That's, that's what was on my that was a, what was on my mind this morning. They're looking at this thing; it's the sort of the same thing as smoking a cigarette, you know. Yeah. And it goes to what you said. All these little, and they really are. Technology is somewhat of a lie. Uh, it, it's great, of course, right? But the devil knows it's great too. The enemy knows it's great. Can remember, the enemy is a genius. He's so much smarter than any of us will ever be or could ever aspire to be. He is an Satan is an abject mastermind. Yes, Todd. Is it because we're addicted to the phone or that our friends won't leave us alone? I know we just our name right. I know there is that, but we we don't know. No, there is that. You know why? Because we're constantly. I said to myself, Pat, you got to not do this. I gotta stop texting everybody. I saw this great podcast. Here, you gotta hear this. Oh, you gotta watch this. Oh, you gotta read this. Leave me alone! Right? This is gonna just leave people alone. Stop sending all that stuff all the time, Pat. You don't need it all the time either. You know, it's like, and it suddenly it's occurring to me, we're just inundated, and I'm wondering why. I find myself lately getting like irritable with interruptions, thinking I, I don't have a moment to think. Somebody's asking me something else, right? Uh, or it might be with Aurora. She went, and with Aurora, you have to completely surrender everything you're doing and listen. And just make sure that they know that you're engaged, your kid, you're t- so that they don't get the sense that dad doesn't want me around or something, right? you got to be careful of these subtle messages you can send. And so, but I get to thinking, it's all interconnected. You know, it's interesting, in the book of Daniel, it says in the last days, information will increase. I was thinking about that this week too. And all the negative impacts of increased information along with the good parts of it, right? And I'm thinking we never give our brains, or me, and who tends to be analytical anyway, I'm an analyst, so perhaps you've got to give your brain a break, Pat. You've got to take that 10 minutes twice a day and just, in addition to Bible study time, but shut the office door. Take 10 minutes. And this all goes to what Gary was talking about a minute. I'm not trying to get off on a rabbit trail, but just the whole idea of how how we just, yeah, we're becoming more and more sort of reluctant to deal with death, think about death, look forward to death in a sense. Not, you know, and it's, and when I say that, I think you all know what I mean, right? I'm not morbid up here. But that, you know, death is no longer bad news for us. But we treat it like it's going to be bad news. Yeah. You know, um, it's, it's, sort of a recent phenomenon of funeral homes 
and bodies of loved ones being taken away from us, mm-hmm. either from the hospital or from our own homes, mm-hmm. and, and taken to a funeral home, and we might see the body in a casket looking pretty good. Exactly. We don't have to deal with the immediate after effects mm-hmm. of the death. Mm-hmm. Plus, many people are getting cremated. Their cremates don't come back for weeks sometimes. Yes. And Thank you. People, good point. I've talked to a funeral, a funeral director told me this, and another one I read recently. Some of them have up to 50 and 100 of cremains that have never been picked up by family members. Wow. That's a fact. Seriously. I love you. Let me sit in Wow. Yeah. Fact, Michelle's uncle, uh, three names, is still in the funeral home, and no one's picking, pick, has picked them up. And he's oh. been dead for about six months. Hmm. Right? <laughs> I mean, this is our Jewish brethren. They die, our Muslim brethren. They die, they're in the ground within a day. Mm-hmm. Uh, I work with a, a great guy, a Muslim uh, co worker of mine. Um, his father died of COVID a year and a half ago or so. And obviously he couldn't get over to Turkey where his father lived, so he had to watch the funeral online. You know, you get to see his father's body online and stuff, because they get to the ground the next day. There's no wait, there's no delaying. There's none of this sort of... They don't wait around for long autopsy results. I guess if it was a, a homicide or something, I don't know what their rules are. But in the Islamic faith, no, no, man. Get that body in the dirt where it belongs. And our Jewish friends, the same thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Plant that thing. Get that thing in the ground from whence it came, you know? Being a nice and so far that Todd's been talking about. <laughs> That's, <laughs> right. That's right. That's right. The feet that carried out your... <laughs> Here we are laughing 2,000 years later. At this. Right? But, but yeah, the feet that carried out your husband will soon carry out your... <laughs> it's a good verse. I like to quote sometimes. The feet, the feet of them that are ready to carry you yeah. out are at the door. Mm. Yeah. What's at our door? We don't know. That's right. How soon those steps are going to close in on us. Well, the last person that I'm going to share correspondence from Mr. Newton with is the Reverend Thomas Scott. So, just sort of a little bit of background here. Newton is interacting with this guy because this guy, from what I've been able to gather, was not accepting of the Athanasian Creed. Okay? Now, the Athanasian Creed is... is so critical for what doctrine? Anybody? Christology. In a sense. Well, yeah, but the Trinity. Uh, the Trinity, the whole thing is, the whole Athanasian... Is it the Athanasian Creed? Wait, I've been given the wrong one. Chalcedonian? No, it wasn't the Chalcedonian either. The Chalcedonian Creed had to do with Docetism, right? So, no, it, it was it was specifically Trinitarian. Nicene? Um, no, it wasn't the Nicene either. I'm pretty sure it was the... Um, is it mentioned in here? Hold on a second. Hold on a second. Because I don't want to get this wrong because I want you to, as I did, go back and read the creed. <laughs> uh, let me think. Give me a second. Just stay there. Think about coffee and donuts and things. Um, is there another creed, Gary? Todd, anyone that might know that I know it begins with the letter A and it was a major creed. Again, it was the 4th century. It was an Athanasian creed as okay. well. Yeah, you're probably right on that. It's got to be. Okay, so in, 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 in any sense, he was not comfortable with, with the Trinity. Somebody Google Athanasian creed too. And bring it up. You think somebody do that already? I did. What do you got? Wow. I got the Athanasian creed all 
Uh-huh. Vault. Does it give the actual creed as well? I want to know if it gives the actual creed because the actual creed it just is blasting Trinitarianism in your face. That we worship one God in Trinity and the Trinity in Unity. Yes. And so on. Yes, yes. He's so. a blending the person. There you go. Exactly. Yeah, and they go on. He goes on to make point after point after point about how each person is God, and it cannot be otherwise. Okay. And and, and he's he's making the point to him. Thank you, thank you, uh, George. Sister and brethren, the, um, he's making the point that unless you believe in the Trinity, you cannot be saved. Right? Unless you believe in the Trinity, you cannot be saved. All right? Or a, 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 a saved person will not reject the Trinity. I guess maybe better to the point. So, in the introduction here, as we're learning a little bit, of, and these were some of his lengthiest letters. So, what he's doing is he's, and what we're going to see in this letter is how Newton slowly wins this guy over. This is why it's a great letter to close our study of Newton on. How he, his, his whole persona, his whole style of interacting with people. It says, He stated that he believed me to be under the teaching of the Spirit, that he was in no way inclined to dictate to me, but leaving me to the guidance of the Lord should be glad, as occasion offered, to be a testimony to the truth of the Gospel and to communicate his sentiments to me on any subjects with all the confidence of friendship. Um, speaking of this correspondence, Mr. Scott says, he's speaking now about one of the letters Newton sent, I used every effort to draw Mr. Newton into controversy. Disputed almost everything he advanced. It was much nettled at many things he asserted. A great part of his letters and some of his books he sent me were read with much indifference and contempt. <laughs> so Newton is passing on, sending him books, writing him letters. And so this guy Scott is saying, I looked at a lot of that stuff with contempt. Okay? I did not care, says Mr. Scott, for his company. I did not mean to make any use of him as an instructor, and I was and I was uh, unwilling the world should think in us in any way connected. But under discouraging circumstances, I've had occasion to call on him, Newton, and his discourse so comforted and edified me that my heart, being by his means relieved from its burden, became susceptible for affection to him. So even though he. Took, he just couldn't take his arguments seriously. He began to despise the arguments. You know, Newton is working with him. All of a sudden, whatever happened in his life, I don't know what it is, he came, he came under discouraging circumstances. And Newton so treated him that he could not deny that he found himself affectionately, feeling affectionate towards John Newton. So Newton was winning over his heart and his head at the same time. Right? I had, however, even at that time, no thoughts of learning doctrinal truth from him and was ashamed to be detected in his, in his company. <laughs> so, I love this guy's honesty. He's, letting, he's saying, this is what was going on with me. I really felt, I began to find myself endeared to him. Just the way that he treated me. Okay? And now to resume Mr. Newton's notes. Okay, this is again part of the biographical steps advanced. September 2nd, 1777. He speaks of a visit from Mr. Scott and he thanks God that he gets forward in the knowledge of the truth. So Newton is starting to thank God he's starting to see some growth. Again on the 15th of April, the following, right? Uh, on that same month, September 15th, referring to the darkness of his former view, he says, quote, he seems now enlightened and established in the most important parts of the gospel. And then once again, December 10th, breakfasted yesterday. <laughs> I breakfasted with him. 
Probably a breakfasted. I've never heard it used in a verb tense like that, right? Breakfasted yesterday with Mr. Scott. The Lord has answered my desires and exceeded my expectations in Him. How gradually yet how clearly He has been taught the truth of the gospel. And then he writes, Oh my Lord, what a teacher art thou. How soon, clearly, and solidly is he established in the knowledge and experience of thy gospel, who but lately was a disputer against every point. I praise thee for him. Often in my faint manner have I prayed to see some of my neighbors of the clergy awakened. Thou hast answered prayer. Oh, may it please thee to add to their number. Just praising God, all happy that this guy has become converted to the genuine faith, Trinitarian gospel. Okay, now here's a letter to him. He's writing this one in 1775. From the account you give me of your sentiments, I cannot but wonder you find it so difficult to accede to the Athanasian Creed. Here it is. When it seems to me you believe and avow what the Creed chiefly sets forth. So it, it, it strikes me as odd that you, 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 you don't accede to it. You don't assent to it. You don't agree with it. And yet you seem to profess the gospel. And this is great. The object of faith must be truth. Newton says, the doctrine of the deity of Christ and of the Holy Spirit in union with the Father, so they are not three gods, but one God, is not merely a proposition expressed in words to which our assent is required, but is absolutely necessary to be known, since without it no truth respecting salvation can be rightly understood. And I was thinking you would appreciate this, especially Todd, because when you taught on the Trinity uh, back a year or two ago on Tuesday nights, uh, the teaching on the Trinity, how important and how crucial it was to all, everything else that we understand. No one truth respecting salvation can be rightly understood, and no one promise duly believed, not one duty spiritually performed, unless it is in the context of Trinitarian reality. Right? And that's why it's so important for us to always be thinking Trinitarianly. We should always be thinking of God, and we don't. Let's just face it, we don't. In Trinitarian ways, the, the relationships, the eternal relationships of Father, Son, and Spirit, how those relationships always were, and how those relationships now are announced through the Gospel. Because you know, all, all God's doing is proclaiming who, he, who God is to us in the Gospel. I take it for granted that this doctrine must appear rational and absurd in the eye of reason, if by reason we mean the reason of man in his fallen state, before it is corrected and enlightened by a heavenly teacher. So that's how he starts out with him. And then he continues in the same very lengthy letter. The truths of Scripture are not like mathematical theorems, which present exactly the same ideas to every person who understands the terms. So mathematical formulas, everyone sees them the same sort of way. I mean, the same. The Word of God is compared to a mirror, he says, 2 Corinthians 3.8. But it is a mirror in which the longer we look, the more we see. The view will still be growing upon us. We shall see but part in part while on this side of eternity. And he gives an example. So we're saying, learning the truths of Scripture is not like learning a, a mathematical theorem. Where everyone sees that math, mathematical theorem the same way or you don't see it at all. With Christ, as in a mirror, we begin to see things increasingly. In this sentence, I've never heard it quite put this way about Peter, but wow. When our Lord pronounced Peter blessed, declaring he had learnt that which flesh and blood could not have taught him, yet Peter was at that time much in the dark. This is the part that, that struck me. The sufferings and death of Jesus, though the only and necessary means of his salvation, were an offense to him. But he lived to glory in what he once could not bear to hear of. So the very thing that was the only means of Peter's salvation, the death 
of Christ was the very thing Peter rejected as the means of his salvation. What a great point. That he's saying to this guy, he's, he's saying to this, to this guy, this guy that wants to reject the Trinity. Right? He's making a point to him. Look, even Peter rejected the gospel in a sense, but having just been enlightened by God that Christ is the Messiah. So he had these two profound truths and Peter could not hold them simultaneously for some reason. Because his mind wasn't, his soul wasn't fully enlightened yet. The same Peter who professed Christ as the, uh, uh, as, as, you know, you are the Christ. You are the anointed one. That same guy rejected the gospel at first. And I thought, what a great way to get to this guy, right? He said, true religion is not science of the head so much as an inward and heartfelt perception which casts down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself in the mind and brings every thought into a sweet and willing, willing subjection to Christ by faith. Wow. That's a great verse, you know. We use that thought, by the way. That verse has been used in dealing with temptation and bringing every thought captive to Christ. And Yeah, you can do that, but don't say this verse teaches that because it doesn't. This verse he's talking about worldviews, philosophies, ideas that are opposed to. And in this case, this Reverend Thomas Scott had this idea that somehow the Trinitarian formula, if you will, was not necessary to a full gospel or a full salvation. And so, that, and even that verse that when Paul was talking about that, he was talking about other belief systems coming against it. We've got to take those elements of the belief system and bring them into subjection to Christ. Bring them into his subjection. Make them bow to Christ. And if it fits, then it's where it belongs. Now, it is true we should take every temptation and drag it before Christ in a sense as well. But I set a great... And he, and he wraps up here, he says, I set a great value upon our friendship. And remember, he's not... He hasn't won this guy over yet fully. Okay, we, I read in the intro how that all happened, but this is two years before that happened, this letter. He says, I set a, a great value upon your offer of friendship, which I trust will not be interrupted on either side by the freedom with which we mutually express our difference of sentiments when we are constrained to differ. <laughs> In other words, I value the offer of your friendship, even if it, I know at times we're going to be, we're going to be locking horns. We're going to be talking about stuff. That uh, we mutually express our differences of sentiments when, when we are constrained to differ. Just the way Newton thought and communicated this stuff. He says, not, not when I know you're wrong or I'm right, not when you refuse to... to when, but just the gracious manner in which he says this, uh, that your offer of friendship is not going to be interrupted. You're not gonna, your offer of friendship is not dependent upon us getting along on every point. And then he, 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 he closes with, I pray God to be your sun and shield your light and strength to guide you with his eye, to comfort you with his gracious presence in your own soul and make you a happy instrument of comforting many. Mm. All this in the, in the desire to see him come to a full understanding of how important it is to know God as Trinity, as, as Father, Son, and Spirit in all those ways. And that again, remembering what he said, nothing else in salvation makes any sense you can't fully believe. You can't grasp the richness of the gospel. Right? Especially if you're just a, oh, Jesus died, I'm not going to hell. That's such a man-centered gospel. But to know that God's revealing who God is through the gospel. 
and how you can enhance that understanding by understanding Trinitarian thought. Yes. This is just, just an over, overarching comment about Newton's communications, mm. correspondences. Yeah. They wouldn't be classified, and I'm saying this positively, as harsh or no, hard not or legalistic. No. But righteousness is being sown in peace. Amen. Then it make peace. I mean, yep. you know, the wrath of man does work the uh, righteousness of God. I think sometimes we're inclined to want to bring the hammer down on people. Yep. And say, look, if you don't either ship up or shape out, or if you shape up right. or ship up, rather, right. uh, uh, you know, we want to like yeah. uh, really hammer them. Whereas Newton seems to want to like just, just probe them with yeah. a God, in a godly fashion and bring up the love of Christ, the truth of the scriptures, and put it in such wonderful terminologies that uh, they He's, win some. He just lived it. You know, he really lived the grace of God. He was a man that was... I mean, this is the man that wrote Amazing Grace. And he lived it. You know, he lived it. He lived Amazing Grace. And so, you know, I'm glad we got to spend some time with him. Um, because I tell you, I, I, I certainly needed the teaching and, and, the, and, the, and the positive stuff that comes out of that book. Because I'm... You know, if... When, I don't want to talk about me, but I, because I'm... Part of the nature of an apologist is someone that's looking for those nuances to try to, you know, I, I, I ended up, instead of going into counter-cult apologetics, which I thought I would do when I was getting my degree in it, I thought I would become a, you know, I was going to become a heretic slayer or a heretic hunter, right? Well, instead I found that, boy, the church really needs this. The church, people in the church really can have their faith strengthened by apologetics. Because it's always, like all things, all things of the gospel are always first and foremost for the church. They're always first and foremost for God's people. God's best food are for His family. You know what I mean? And and so, but again, I want to be prone to and, and if you're, you know, if you're if you're politically astute, you're very engaged in politics. You know, there's a way to sort of go about it where you're. I mean, you get to deal with this all the time, man, in under harsh, severe circumstances of Massachusetts. When is it time to get severe and harsh? And when is it time to just you know show this kind of a courteous? You know, and I'm sure you know this, we've got the best of Newton, right? I'm sure there was a time when he was terse with his wife, or said something he shouldn't have said, or you know, in so many words, called somebody a knucklehead. But his overall, his overall disposition is a real treasure for us. I'm glad we got to spend time in it. All right, so let's close so we can get up to the church if we can have somebody. Mark, would you please pray? Yes. Gracious Lord, thank you for the time that we privilege to spend together uh, in pursuit of these uh, the writings of John Newton. Thank you, Father, for the lessons that have come from it. Father, we just pray that you would help us to um, learn from it, Lord, maybe even to aspire to emulate. Father, we just thank you for the mercies you show us through this. And just guide us this day, Lord. Accept our worship in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks. Amen.